So grace you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, you all recognize a chessboard, and I'm guessing some of you even play chess as well. I mean, chess has been around for centuries. It's a, it's a symbolized warfare going on on the chessboards with pieces moving, capturing other pieces, and every piece has, a, has a, its a different advantages as well as its vulnerabilities. And chess masters know how to integrate the movements of all the pieces to take advantage and win over all their opponents. It was my older brother by six years who taught me how to play chess. And it turns out six years is a pretty big difference when it comes to chess because I would start each and every game confident that I was going to win. And each and every game I lost. Never once did I beat him uh, growing up through high school. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to invest so much time into a game and then lose and not take it personally. It is, uh, it's tough to, to invest uh, and face off with an opponent and end up losing. But that's the other part of chess, is that it is one side facing off with the other side, white versus black. And that's why it symbolizes about every conflict that we come across in this world. Sometimes the people with whom we are in conflict, those who are our opponents, are quite familiar to us. Sometimes they are even the person we are married to. But sometimes they are faceless opponents. It's just simply those people. It's them who are threatening our way of life and our security. And sometimes the stakes are a lot bigger than just winning or losing a chess game. It symbolizes conflict. And conflict has been part of the human story since the very beginning. And sometimes conflict doesn't end very pretty. It ends with blood being spilt, starting with, in the Bible, that story of Cain murdering his brother Abel. But even if their blood isn't spilt, conflict usually ends up with winners and losers, people who are now in and others who are now out. I mean, there are lines that are drawn, there are walls that are built. And that bit of reality was just as true in Jesus' time as it is for us today. In Jesus' time, there were lots of groups, all who opposed and hated one another. Uh, amongst the religious people, there were at least three groups who couldn't stand each other. Uh, there were the Sadducees, who ran the temple, were in charge of the temple, kind of were the, uh, the leaders of the people. And then there were the Pharisees, who were kind of the spiritual lay group, who were trying to get people to follow the laws of Moses most closely and tended to point out what people did wrong. And then there were the Essenes, who couldn't stand either group, so who would move out into the wilderness and kind of build their own communities to live by themselves. And amongst the non-religious people, there were those who cooperated with the Roman government. Tax collectors would have fallen into that group. And then there were those who were trying to work underground, freedom fighters opposing the Roman occupiers. They were called the Zealots. So those are just some of the groups, and there were lots of strong feelings against anybody else who was not a part of your group. Okay? Now, in the story you just heard read, we heard two of those groups mentioned, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. 
And it'd be kind of hard-pressed to say why the Pharisees hated the tax collectors more. Was it their non-adherence to the laws of Moses, or was it their collaboration with the Romans? Well, either way it happened, yeah, either, either uh, for whatever reasons, the Pharisee strategy for dealing with the tax collectors and those who were the friends that gathered around them was to shun them, ostracize them, cut them off from the religious community until they learned their lesson and would repent and turn back to live the way that they thought people should live. It was a strategy of isolation. So, when Jesus, whom the Pharisees saw as somebody on their side, as, as a religious teacher par excellence, so when Jesus went to the home of a tax collector and all his friends who kind of get lumped in the category of sinners, that was a total disconnect for them that somebody on their side would go have dinner with somebody on their side. Because you only broke bread. You only shared a meal with people who are your friends and are your allies. You don't share a meal with people who were not on your side. Of course, we know how the story turns out. We know that, that as it happens, as Jesus, his willingness to have dinner and befriend those on the other side had the net result that many of them followed Jesus. Many of them brought God back into it being part of their life. In a sense, Jesus was being that ambassador between the two worlds, coming and speaking words of peace and reconciliation and was warmly greeted for it. You know, this story kind of illustrates that when Jesus said in, in, in teaching in the Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, he wasn't telling us to do anything that he wasn't already doing himself. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing uh, later, describing Jesus' ministry, described it as one of reconciliation. That Jesus was the peacemaker. Jesus was the one who knew how to tear down the walls between the groups and to bring people together and to bring people to God. So here's the thing about you and me. Just like little Ellie this morning, we belong to Christ. And in the waters of baptism, that new Adam or that new Eve has come to be born within us. And as we grow, we become more and more like Christ. It's kind of like the DNA has been infused into us and set into motion. So if Jesus played the role of the peacemaker amongst the people he lived with as the one who could bridge the gap between the groups and tear down the walls, I'm just telling you, that is now a part of your and my spiritual DNA. Peacemaking. That's how we are going to turn out in the end. That's what we're going to look like. I want to share a picture of that with you. Eighteen years ago, a young member of our congregation, Max Beaners, 
He died a, a few days after graduating from Roosevelt after a long battle with leukemia. And it hadn't been his first battle with the disease when he was five years old. He had contracted a form of leukemia and had gone through all the treatments, uh, the painful treatments and the infections that usually accompany those, but he had won. He had fought it. And the disease uh, 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 wasn't to be seen again until a different strain of leukemia struck him his junior year at high school. He spent most of that year over at Mayo. Uh, Again, a very painful part uh, uh, treatment and recovery in his life, but, but he beat it again and, and got stronger, uh, worked through the summer so that he could play on the tennis team again come fall, which he did. And, uh, but the disease returned sometime after Christmas and took his life in June. Well, I bring him up because the fall after his death, our 10th grade students, who all have to write a personal creed of faith, uh, there were two or three of them in their creed that mentioned Max Beaners. And the part that caught my attention is that they called him my best friend. Now, for me, that was a disconnect, because I know how high school works, all right? Max was a senior when they were a freshman. There's that. And then Max also was the class president, a really good-looking guy, on the tennis team, he was on the A-list of Roosevelt High School. And A-lister seniors really are not known for uh, hanging around with freshmen. So I had to do a little investigating. And when I did, I found out that a typical week at Roosevelt High School in the lunchroom would find Max moving to a different table every day and sitting with the people at that table. And it didn't matter if they were freshmen or it didn't matter if they were the stoners Oh, it didn't matter if they were the orc dorks, which my daughter told me is what the orchestra people are called, <laughs> of which she is one. Max would sit down and spend the, the, the lunch with them and befriend them. I mean, needless to say, I think his battles with leukemia had given him a different perspective about what's really important in life, what really matters in life. I, I don't think he saw himself as a peacemaker. He was just doing what felt natural, as if it were part of his DNA. But you and I know that what Max did would not come so naturally to any of us. We, even uh, the adults remember uh, going into the high school lunchroom. We all look for the safe place uh, in the lunchroom, for that table that has our friends at it or people who are like us. And that's because... We are all still very much locked into this mindset of us versus them. And we've got to find the safe places with the other us's rather than risk sitting with them. What you could describe Max was doing yeah, in that lunchroom on a daily basis was taking that chair across the table from his opponent and moving it to the other side, sitting down with them saying that you and I, we're on the same team. We can be friends. And there was probably still, of course, issues that were going to have to be resolved between two people from two different worlds. But by moving to the same side, all of a sudden, all those problems that maybe uh, they were facing became much smaller because now they were being confronted by friends who were working together. 
And what you see right here really is the key to marriage counseling. It's the key to labor disputes. It's probably even the key to international relations. It is intentionally disregarding the wall that each of us creates between us and them. And instead, choosing to sit together with the other side as friends who will combine their gifts and talents to solve whatever the problem is, which is the real opponent that is being faced. And interestingly enough, this is the same strategy, the same model that God uses for us. That God, in looking at us, doesn't see us as sinful people whose hearts cannot seem to hold on to God, does not view us as opponents to be defeated, but instead in Jesus, coming down to us in a manger, chose to come over and be part of our side. And in that same Jesus, the Son of God, chose to defeat those who were the real opponents, our sin and death, which claims us. God came to our side. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They'll be called children of God because they're doing the business of their father. Peacemaking is the family business. And now that you have been baptized into Christ, it is now a part of who each one of you are. It is in your DNA. It's what you're called to learn to do. I haven't played a game of chess in decades. Uh, and I still play competitive games. I, I like to do that, but my kids know that the games I really love to play are the games that we can all be on the same team, like uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, they're all on the same team working together to, to achieve your objective. Those are the games that have become the most fun for me. Uh, maybe I'm changing. Maybe it's my spiritual DNA kicking in. But one more time, let me say this. God, as peacemaker, defied the walls that sin creates and sent his son Jesus as one of us. Jesus, the peacemaker, defied the walls that sin creates and chose to sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners. So now may we be the people who bring peace by defy, defying any wall that separates any two people, one from the other. People who say all are welcome. People who are peacemakers, who live it. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all our understanding keep our hearts and our minds focused on Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.